0: And now, it's time for that great new game show. It's the PowerShell Podcast. It's all about PowerShell and the PowerShell community.
1: The PowerShell Podcast.
0: Something new, something revolutionary. And
1: now, here's your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plaw. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the PowerShell Podcast. I'm Jordan, along with the shining beacon that we all look forward to in PowerShell excellence, Andrew Plaw. Thank you, Jordan. Like
0: it's that one? Right here. Oh, that was great. That was great. I'd love a little bit more of uh, the shine on the Jordan. You know, amazing introduction, Jordan. Amazing podcast. We're on like 76 or 77. I don't know. We're in the 70s, man. We're doing something right. We're having fun. How are you today?
1: I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm, uh, I'm sleepy.
0: I feel that. It is morning time for you. But you know what? Nothing stops us. Every single week we're dropping a new episode. And this episode, I got something exciting to tell you, man. friend of the podcast, we've talked to him before, Drew McClellan. You and I, we have a close relationship with him. Um, And, uh, well, we're excited to say congratulations to Drew on his new role. He landed a new role at an MSP. Um, He's going to be a junior sysadmin for an MSP. I think this is a really exciting opportunity for him. I just wanted to give him an official congratulations on the podcast. Drew, I'm so excited for what's coming next for you. Keep doing your thing. Great stuff is in your future, my friend.
1: I'm proud of Drew. It Me was too. great to see him at the summit. The it was.
0: It was. I've been harping on him. I've been saying get a new job for a while now. So it's cool to see that, you know, he's doing it. You All know right. what? We know what else is coming, Jordan. What's that? You know, our friend Jim Truer. We can call him a friend now, can't we? We interviewed well, we, him. A
1: he has weeks been ago. on the podcast. Everyone that's been on the podcast is a friend.
0: Well, there is a new release of the Microsoft PowerShell. Text utility module which is a module for, uh, with tools for working with text content. Link in show notes, if you want to read about it, and get it installed. Uh, install module, Microsoft.PowerShell.TextUtility, dash allow pre-release to get the latest release.
1: All right. Good stuff. And do you, do you have more nuggets
0: for us here? another nugget. I know we love talking about PowerShell profiles. It's one of the ways that you take your PowerShell. You can tweak it a little bit, have some fun. It's, it's critical to the learning process, I feel, into actually using PowerShell on the regular. Um, and Harm Veenstra, powershellisfun.com, you might know him as, has a great blog that he put out recently about the profile. Link in show notes. Check it out. A lot of good tidbits in there. Um, we, we talk about the profile a lot. Because I found that a lot of people maybe haven't heard of it, maybe aren't using it. And this is just another good opportunity and reminder to create your profile, customize it, have some fun. Right. Do your thing. And you know what? Maybe we'll talk to
1: Harm sometime. Should we? Should we interview Harm Beanstra? I think we should interview just about everybody. Okay. We got plenty of time because we drop this every week and we're never stopping. So
0: well, if if we manage to get him next week, wouldn't that be just incredible? I don't know. Stay tuned. We'll see. <laughs> All
1: right. Now, for the reason people are they're here because of the title, they see, oh my goodness, is that the Bjorn Sundling? Mm-hmm. And yes, it is. So welcome this week's guest, Bjorn. There you are, bam.
2: Melvin. Hey, hello. Thank you very much. Fantastically fun to be here.
0: So before we started recording... We were talking, I was going to ask, like, what's your work like? Did you have a busy day today? And I think your day job, you are a consultant in the cloud, yeah. in the Azure space. Yeah. But right now,
2: what, do. what are you right doing? Now, these? Well, drinking way too much beer, sitting in the sun, doing absolutely nothing. We're doing Swedish vacation time. So most Swedes are away around now. It's basically like half the country just closes down and goes on vacation for a couple of weeks so i'm in you know, like war week uh, four or five something like that uh, just came home from a day trip to the archipelago like, just that's, perfect
1: just like uh feels like a double-edged sword like when half the country all at the same time goes on vacation it means your usual spots you want to go hang out are probably going to be overcrowded but on the yeah, other side having that time off that's nice
2: and, and it's overcrowded by me and my friends so no oh, i don't care that's just true. having the chance to do fun stuff together so you're perfect. on
0: a four to five week vacation is that how long it is
2: yeah something like that nice I'm not entirely sure <laughs> just I'm, I'm about to go
0: on a four day vacation and i'm pretty excited but uh, four <laughs> weeks sounds pretty nice too
2: yeah yeah that's it's really good it's like yeah we have even mandatory i think it's like five to seven weeks vacation for everyone and, and it's mandatory that you have like If you want to, you have three or four consecutive weeks every summer, like Swedish worker laws are good.
0: (laughs) When you get back, are you just eager to to get into the cloud, get behind the PowerShell command line and just get going?
2: I mean, absolutely. Even though I spend my vacation doing more or less the same stuff I do at work, it's just different goals. You know, I often say like the difference between before 5 p.m. and after 5 p.m. is just which window you're looking at in VS Code. We still spend I still do a lot of work there. Um, But it's also like, it's a double-edged sword. Like I said, coming back from a long vacation means it's like the first week is just like scratching your head and going, what did I do here? I do not remember anything. And yeah, it's it's good. You get properly rested, well-rested at least. (laughs) So yeah, starting again in August sometime.
1: Well, I, I was looking at your your MVP profile here, and yep. you said something at the end that I think is very important, and we need to get out there. Uh, you love no bean chili. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so, like
2: proper Texas no bean chili. Yes.
1: Yes. I guess I don't know if if you're aware of 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 the battle you've stepped into here, but uh, <laughs> whether whether beans belong in chili is a heated debate.
2: It's it's always is beans and tomatoes is also or tomatoes depending on your. Choice awards, uh also one of those. Should we have them in your ch- in a chili? I, I say no.
1: It's, I mean Just... the, the entire premise if we're if we're looking at history was you know chilies and meat.
2: Yeah, chilies and meat and beer. Just yeah. boil the living hell out of it. There you go. So as actually
1: according to the International Chili Society, ICS, their main event of red chili, no beans allowed. If you do the homestyle event, which is clearly the lesser event. You can yeah. add beans if you want, but I mean, everyone yeah, I, knows why we're there.
2: Yeah. I, I absolutely do love like Tex Texan food or Tex-Mex or Mexican food. Like, it's really food. hard to find the good stuff in Sweden, but if we do, I love it. It's nice. one of the goals in life, to travel there and eat. There's a lot I of like good food that. there.
0: Congrats on the MVP, by the way. I believe this is your first year with it, right? Thank you. Yeah. It was
2: Two months now i nice. got it in june so it was uh quite fantastic it's been one hell of a year to say the least <laughs> did a lot of good sessions and then ended up with an mvp title it was like oh it's just crazy it's like super fun it's a big moment yes uh it's, it's still haven't really landed you know it, it you always accept stuff in steps so the first one was like oh someone nominated me and then you know i got the mail uh it was like it took like two weeks before i even went in and went okay let's just start clicking accepting all the nd or whatever getting the plaque the sculpture thing it's like gets more and more real every time um but yeah it's it's a lot of fun and i think it already opened a lot of new doors a lot of new stuff showing up you know, happening, like, it's really fun. i really, really happy to get it. Nice.
0: Congrats on that one. Yep. Now, awesome. we met at PowerShell Summit this year. Yep. Uh, not too many months ago, I guess in April. And yep. yeah. you gave a very interesting talk on Azure DevOps security. Yeah. Thank and you. as I understand Thank it, that wasn't your first time giving this talk.
2: No, it's 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 a continuation. So so I the first time I did it was at a user group, and then uh, at uh, PSConf last year, um, I gave a, gave the first big presentation, and then a couple of more user groups. So I sort of fine tuned it and and found new angles and found new ways of of you know, breaking people's Azure DevOps setups, and it just sort of grew on me. It's it's a really fun presentation to give, and it's a really interesting topic, I think. Um I spend most of my days working in Azure DevOps. And naturally I end up doing a lot of fun stuff in there. And I kind of realized that you know many of the companies I work with, uh, customers we have. We, we did, like I said uh, when I did when I did this presentation in PS Cov last year, I, I said, um so we have books written on, on secure development, right? Like secure development is a huge thing. How do we write proper good code? And we have ages of uh, experience and books written on how to secure your environment but when the whole devops movement and automated the deploy and everything as code showed up people just started throwing everything in pipelines without ever considering the, the actual effects of it and there's like so many like security breaches done that way that people just tend to forget you know i, I have join companies I don't know how many times and just figure out that uh, I mean I can take over this entire environment and since you're deploying everything as code nowadays that means I own everything you have because you forgot your Azure DevOps setup or your GitHub setup so I just found it a really really fun topic to start talking about and it's also one of the things since so many people tend to forget the whole deployment process when it comes to security it's one of those sessions that I, no matter how many times i give it there's always a handful of people sitting in the audience going oh i need to go home and fix stuff and that's sort of kind of the best feeling ever when you see that people actually learn from it not because i'd love to scare them that's fun as well but mostly because you sort of take it down a notch and say that you don't have to Hire your security expert. You can actually fix most of this stuff yourself. It's just thinking about it, which is also one thing I really think. Why I enjoy doing it is because it sort of goes down a notch and, like, like I said in the uh, uh, summary for the in the the speaker's summary, uh, it's like security for non-security people.
1: It feels like one of those things where the earlier you approach that or do the right process is the easier it would be to adopt but the further along the line you're looking at more and more tech debt
2: yeah absolutely so so one of the things i mentioned there in the in in the, the powershell and devops conf was you know ter- sh- turning off uh, uh tasks that you don't use so for example you have like node 6 and node 10 tasks available in azure devops per default node 6 i don't know if you're Node developers or if you do anything it's like it's not just old; it's bloody ancient by now. It's just so full of security holes, and by default, you have a number of tasks that runs node six, and this basically just a switch. You go in and turn it off, but it's on per default. And the more people, like you said, the more longer you don't turn it off, the more people will start using ancient code, and the harder it will be once you turn this stiff stuff off, and you have like half of your pipelines failing because no one dared to update the tasks ever. It's it's, it's, like I said, one of those things that we tend to forget. Like you need to update your pipelines and your systems as well in there. like It's an interesting and sort of overlooked part of everything, which is why I stumbled into it. Like, I really enjoyed doing it.
0: Now, based on what you've seen... How do you think people should be tackling it? Should they put more thought whenever they're implementing CI/CD pipelines and how they approach it? Or after the fact, should they all of a sudden implement policies and, and get things under control? Like what's the kind of path forward for people?
2: Uh, like, like I said, no matter what it is, actually, they're not just implementing pipelines and everything as code start simple it's like whatever you do why do you start by you start by implementing two-factor authentication and turning off public access because it's default on and it probably no one will care and and also never unless you're like if you're a really big company you need to do it more strict and more regulated of course but but never underestimate the power of the screaming test like if there's a setting or if there's something that you discover that you want to turn off or that you want to change, change the behavior and see if someone screams, because like in so many cases it's just forgotten stuff and forgotten stuff. It's, it's, it's what someone who hacks systems lives on, you know, like you must remember whatever system you're running you must remember that everything should be patched. Why would like, we don't run unpatched software on our desktops, So why should we run unpatched software on our worker agents, which is basically what you're doing. I, I would say start small and start simple, just like with anything else, uh, or at least try to see where you're where 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 you could go wrong. I know there's like a presentation from a PowerShell and DevOps conference that you can look at to see sort of where to start.
0: <laughs> and I think that a lot of generic security principles apply, like you're mentioning: turn off public of access, principle of least privilege. Um,
2: of course, it's just it, like it, one of. Uh, actually, like before, I did my first ever security session. One of the things I did was spend like hours, hours upon hours, interviewing and talking to the security department at my own work. Like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to look at. I have here my Azure DevOps setup. What would you want me to think about? What, which trains of thought do you apply to me? Like, and one of the things he said was, uh, like, trying to translate it from Swedish. Um, Keep in mind of the prints uh, of, of this uh, access that you're given. Like, remember that you are not your security boundary when you run stuff as code anymore. Even though you are an important security issue, the boundary is actually moved from you up to a cloud service. And you have to remember that that cloud runner that's, or that uh, host that, that runner that you're running in the cloud or on your internal machine, that's a security boundary. And like, try to track every single step that you're doing, whatever it is, building, deploying, releasing, and remember that that every part of this is a security boundary that you need to take care of. So just be aware of the powers given is sort of what he said, what the baseline was like. Remember what powers you have.
0: Yeah, and I think that security is everyone's responsibility. Yeah, I think we find that more and more.
2: Oh, of course, it's it's also one of the things I I stumbled into the DevOps uh, stuff quite early or quite long time ago, um, and one of the things I always that always bothered me with the DevOps as a movement was the name, because we tend to speak of it like DevOps, and then someone started doing oh we need to do DevSecOps, and that was like to me that was the most dumb thing anyone could ever think of. Because I thought, like, wait, so, so you're saying you started by only giving developers admin rights or, or administrators developer rights and then forgot about it. Sec- it's quite clear that you should have done this to begin with. Like, involve everyone in security to start with when you mix systems up like this. Because that's what you do in the whole everything is called DevOps movement. You mix everything up and have everyone have access to every, like, those boundaries of hardware and software gets moved. And then you need to involve security from both these departments or from both these parts of development in your main line. So it was like, one of the things I found really bad was the naming DevOps because it sort of left so many people out and people started doing DevSecOps. And I was like, yeah, but we should have done that from the start. And then I heard like... Uh, dev sales ops, which is my absolute favorite hate word. Someone used, like, we're doing dev sales ops. Like, wait, what? Oh, we're involving sales in our development process. Now, like, quite clearly states in the DevOps principles that you should ask your customers, which technically means involving sales. Like, what do we do? What do we need? Can we do, like, how how do we do fast iterations if we don't know which goals we have? Well, We need to talk to the customers as well. It's just... It's mind-blowingly dumb when you ended up doing this and and sort of building new walls instead of tearing down the old ones.
0: Yeah, I think that like those changed buzzwords are like people's attempts at highlighting things that they see. But in doing so, oftentimes it introduces a lot more confusion. Like you're mentioning, like it's great to get feedback and, and be driven by data and stuff like that from the customers. But... To then redefine it just gets sticky and <laughs> kind of misses the original point, which is pretty on target.
2: Yeah. yeah, and so yeah, I I enjoy hacking some security stuff every now and then, and I enjoyed learning like how to, how they think. That's was sort of how my journey into this even started, like just talking to the security department because well they were actually quite surprised as well when I started doing this because I was like, yeah, I'm gonna do a presentation on some Azure DevOps security stuff, and they were like. Wait, so you're asking us how to deploy stuff? Well, yeah, of course, you're the security department. I should ask you how I can deploy stuff. These are the rules for your part of it. like. If you set up the rules in our cloud solution, well, you have to help me solve those issues in my deployment solutions, it just comes naturally.
1: It makes sense that I'd be excited to hear from you because in general, IT department is a department of no, like this is why you can't have this thing and yeah. security within it is like the next level of no and it's always yeah. for reasons they can't always
2: show you but it's very good reasons <laughs> yeah of course but but it's, that's again like the easiest way to get around this like security department says no and then i i mean i most of the cases i can't really argue they know security better than i do i can say that you're wrong But I have an issue I need to solve. Just help me find a way that we can solve this together where both of us is, or either both of us are happy or both of us are equally sad that we had to break something. But it's like, in the end, everyone should work towards the same goal. It's like the company's best or the goal of whatever project we're working in. And like, if someone struggles to or argues that you can't do this, uh, and my argument in the, is that 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 will. if I can't do this, it will cost the company billions of dollars, then you're going to lose that argument. Like, It's that simple. We need to fix the issue. We can't just say no for the sake of saying no. We need to work together to solve issues, which is, again, why I sort of had a hard time when people started involving other departments, like saying we can't talk to security because they are too secret, so we need to invent another buzzword for it.
1: I, I like the the goal of equal sadness.
2: That's what we should all strive for. Yeah, but but it's it's like yeah it's, it's um it, it's it's what sort of we often end up with because like of course if you ask you know they have you have the magic triangle of secure cheap and and fast and and or secure cheap and usable is the triangle they use. Uh, you get to pick two. Whatever two parts you pick, you're not going to end up with someone being really sad. Like The economy department will hate you if you set up a super advanced, super secure, and really, really good system, because they will have to open their wallets. Or you can do really cheap and really secure and just bring the scissors to the, the cupboard and cut the internet wire. That's really secure, but probably people will hate you and get sad if they don't have no internet. it's It's... It's about equal sadness. It's about finding that part in the triangle where everyone gets equally, okay, I can live with this. I'm not going to like it, but I can accept it.
1: Lowest common depression.
2: Yeah. (laughs) That's a good one. I'm stealing that one. Oh, that's funny. So you're a
0: consultant for Azure and DevOps. Now, are you brought in as incident response or is this not so IR? Like, I'm wondering if you've seen some pretty hairy situations.
2: No, actually I' not I mean, I'm not a security person at all actually. That's parts just sort of stumbled into. I, I mostly do um, so, so either we're called in like for a short term, uh, I need help. We started doing whatever, like everything from we've, we're planning on using pipelines for stuff to we're already we, we have huge setups using millions of release pipelines and, and build pipelines and whatever. We need someone to just go through, through and structure it up. I have like tasks going in and just doing security reviews as well f- from the presentation stuff and saying, okay, I'm going to look at every single checkbox and give you a sort of report on what's good and bad and why and so on and so forth. Um, but but I, I work in a team where most of our actual uh, job is, is uh, sort of Green or brownfield deployments of landing zones or or large scale environments for for companies. So, uh, so I have like a couple of architects and developers and and all kinds of people doing like fancy baseline automation for companies that use Azure uh, from or following Azure like best practices. Um, It's just that my part in this team sort of ended up being doing the release stuff for them and. Once you have a landing zone structure set up, I can help them automate their landing zone builds and their releases of stuff or when they want to order new stuff for like Yeah. So, so mo- most of my job is just everything and anything in, in Azure DevOps or GitHub mostly. have done a couple of other systems as well, but they're not as common, which sort of... I, you have to focus on something, you know? Can't, can't be an expert on everything, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> and prior to becoming a consultant, what was your specialty or what were you working with?
2: I, I was actually one of the few people in the world who, who got the title PowerShell developer. So, so I worked for three years at a company called Snow Software. They did all kinds of stuff. Um, I, I worked on an automation, PowerShell, PowerShell automation workflow engine. So it was like C-sharp based, uh, you know, fancy automation, front page, back end, could do all kinds of, of stuff. But but I worked as a PowerShell developer and did only wrote PowerShell solutions for customers like most of the days. Um, everything from the like most of the back end of that system and the front end was PowerShell. So, so I was a PowerShell uh, developer uh, for three, four years, something like that. But even then, like w- one of the things I stumbled into, we were two people doing PowerShell only, but one of the things I sort of got the ownership of was the entire release process. So like, that's where I sort of stumbled into actually building you know, pipelines, DevOps deployment stuff was because everything was manual when I joined them. And I was like, yeah, this isn't going to fly. It takes like a week to release a new version of the software. That's not good. So... A bit of PowerShell, a lot of will, and uh, many many crashes of build systems. Later, it took like an hour to get the system out of the door. Which is sort of where I realized that this is really fun. Actually, <laughs> I really like this. And and that's sort of an interesting thing about the PowerShell, about PowerShell and the PowerShell community that I I think I discovered, or dis- I I didn't discover anything, but but uh, that I sort of realized last couple of years is that we have We have changed quite a lot in that, like when I got this title, there was a lot of talk about PowerShell. I mean, you were both in the community back then as well. A lot of talk about PowerShell as a programming language. We need to start looking at ourselves as developers. We need to start thinking like that. That was a big thing a couple of years ago. So when I got that title, got that like PowerShell developer, that was like, of talking to jeffrey snover style level who, in the breakfast at PSCon many years ago like and he was like wow you actually got that title that's so cool to hear someone yeah but but then we sort of moved on and now i feel like powershell not just for me but but as a, a, a common in our community became more and more of a, a tool uh, just sort of our weapon of choice it's, it's i don't really see anyone being hired as a powershell developer today in the same way because now it's just like okay we do this or we solve this issue and we do it using powershell and that's sort of where i stumbled in as well like i started with powershell developer stumbled into realizing development or release processes was what i enjoy doing i just when whenever i do something i just pick powershell because it's my weapon of choice like it's yeah it, it changed how we look at it. And I don't know if it's majority or if it's the community majority or if it's the fact that they sort of stamped it open source and said, okay, we're quite done with PowerShell as an engine. Just go ahead and have fun with it. I don't know where it comes from, but I I, I feel this changed a couple of years ago.
0: I I don't know what it is either, but I have a... F- my impression is that it's not that exciting to be a developer anymore. Like, it's not like the end game. Like, so yeah. many people write code, so many different roles are writing code. It's like, whatever, we're all just doing work. And uh, a lot of people are using PowerShell, people are using other things. It's not that special, though. At least that's yeah. my opinion. I-, I don't know if yeah. that's true for everyone.
2: Yeah, but, but, but that's kind of what I, I agree on and on what I mean. Like, it's, it's not about a language, it's not about being a developer. And maybe it's just the fact that i ended up in the devops movement as well like that's why i started thinking about it but yeah it's like it's just a tool and and you can see that in like many of the conferences and, and uh, conferences and sessions and like user groups as well like it's not as much discussion about you know i did one thing in powershell this is powershell or as a function or like it's, it's more like we talk about cool stuff we do, and uh, yeah, I use PowerShell to do it, but this is the cool solutions we do instead. Like,
0: Yeah, agreed with that. Now, to go back a few weeks <laughs> to PowerShell Conference EU, I yeah. know you've been a couple times, right? How many times have you been?
2: Um, so I, I've been there every single time apart. So so PSConf EU is... is uh, and in, it started out with with just the PowerShell conference in the States that had uh, a spin-off in Europe uh, arranged by the same people. So it was uh, uh, Don Jones and, and company who fixed it. And they had it in Sweden. I think it must have been 2015. And, uh, well, it was in Stockholm. So I managed to convince my boss that, okay, this is almost free. Pay an extra conference for me. And then, well, they said, like, we're not going to do this again because uh, traveling to Europe or calling Europe from bad times, and it was ri- really hard for them to arrange it. And then Tobias stepped up and started PS Conf. So that must have been 2016, I think, uh, the first one, or if it was 2017. But I've been there every, every single one since then. Um, so I haven't missed one so far.
0: Gosh, I'm lucky to finally meet you. I can't believe we haven't crossed paths <laughs> sooner.
2: You've been around yeah. for a while. Yeah, I've I've been doing PowerShell since I don't know how long. Like I think my first, I started doing it using PowerShell when it was version one still. But I I don't know. I haven't really been. Well, I joined the community in Sweden. I've been arranging the Sweden Swedish PowerShell user group for quite some time, which is probably the world's most inactive user group right now. But still, but I'm other, than that, yeah. <laughs> other than that, yeah. Other than that, i I've been keeping to Europe mostly. Like just recently, I started to or send proposals or actually do stuff in in, in the States as well. Um, it's a really shame that the PS Conf uh, or partial conference in, in Asia I don't know if they will start up again or what's going on, but I really hope so. That would be really fun to do. But we'll see. I heard I great mean, things about that one, yeah. Really, really good stuff, and lots of good people over there. That, but I think it's like harder to fix for travel it's it's a costly thing to do a, a good thing i think about europe is that most of the people here can travel for close to nothing it's not that expensive to do it and I, I guess that's also one of the reasons i started doing presentations in the states recently is that i actually have an employer that supports it and pays for it and helps out because it's a bloody costly thing to do even though. You know you get sponsorships and stuff it's still expensive as especially with the value of swedish money right now which is basically nothing squid and absolutely crap but yeah i, I i've been keeping mostly in, in sweden or europe but i've been at the ps conf since it started uh this is my second year as a speaker uh really really enjoying stage work been Doing it, like I said, mostly locally in smaller user groups and stuff. But then I sort of decided, nope, it's time to step up. Uh, took me five years to actually press the button and click send on my uh, PSCom sessions. I have written like a couple of times before, but never dared to press send because you know I know who's up there on stage. Where, like, they're the smart people who know stuff, unlike me. I just fake it. Right, so, I can I
1: relate think, to that. I think five years <laughs> is actually a fantastic turnaround because I know I've 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 sailed right by that mark.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's uh. I mean, I I gotta say huge thank to the arrangers of PS Comp, especially Rob, for keep nagging me every single year. you next year, you're sending a presentation. Next year, you're sending a presentation, and eventually, yeah, he's he's really good. Well,
1: and he even started the program for first-time speakers to help them on how to handle, yeah. everything. and we actually got to talk to someone that went through that, and it it's apparently was a oh. massive help. So it's
2: oh yeah, I, I heard
1: I the extra outreach that PSConfU uh, does to train up speakers.
2: Yeah, they they're they're really a speaker-friendly conference, like both helping people get in, helping people uh, write, like. I know I've got some really good feedback on, on session proposals. Like, okay, this is probably what you should think about, what you should what you should change. And you no, know, they they really take care of their crew, which I really like. It's a really, We've really nice that. conference.
0: We've heard really good things about the kind of mentorship, the encouragement, yeah. which is so important to keeping a community thriving, is encouraging people yeah. who are like in your boat. We're like, oh, kind of teetering on it get there and then boom now you're contributing multiple years in a row you mentioned from your words you enjoy it you love speaking yeah uh, did you have stage I, experience prior to that or how did that work out
2: I, i've been playing in bands since i was like yay big uh, so i think i started playing my first punk rock concerts when i was like 14 years old but that's like a whole different thing. But yes, I do have stage experience, but stage experience from, from standing in the background and, and smashing guitars. Um, but I believe it helps. I, I also believe that, like, I don't know how many times I've said it to random people. I believe that everyone who does stage work in any kind of way needs to suffer from part of split personality. You know, it's, you, you sort of dress up in this stage personality. And I think the advantage I have in that case was that I already sort of know how I get dressed in my stage personality. I I have this routine. I already know what routines I have before I go up on stage like what I need to do to prepare and be relaxed there. So, yeah, I I I absolutely I think I have had some advantage of it. But standing next to an entire band, you're kind of hidden when you do something wrong. This is like the ultimate what is it called? public exposure, yeah, like, there's nothing to hide behind, which also I kind of proved to myself in PSConf, uh, Like I, one of the sessions I did there this year on GitHub Actions, I, well, I fed up so badly. It's almost crazy. Uh was like lost my thread. So, so went up on stage, one of the slides, I, I actually, I ran it right before I went up on stage, I'd run it through i have no idea what i did but one of the slides sort of moved to, was just gone wasn't where it's supposed to be which made me lose my thread and i did the exact opposite of what everyone says you should do you know when you lose your thread on stage don't try to fix it just move on which is exactly what i didn't which ended up with me messing up my code and doing a really really like, but it took like three minutes to get back on track and and then you know everything worked out and and Thanks to Torsten's magic, uh, it doesn't look all too terrible on the videos. So yeah, three minutes isn't too bad. Nice, yeah, could be worse. Could absolutely been worse. At least you get you know, the tracks. Yeah, uh, you know, it feels like afterwards you just feel like falling through a hole in the floor and just I want to die now. But then you know, I, I went back and looked at it. I was like, yeah, it's, just, it's actually it's not that bad. It's, and and also I think an important lesson both for me and for like people seeing it, like everyone, I have no issues with admitting that I messed that presentation up. I got it back on track. I still know what I talked about. And I still know that the code worked in the end. And I had a good demo. Like it's, it happens and it's scary. It's scary to stand on stage, having a full crowd looking at you and only you. That takes a lot of nerve, which, yeah, I'm really proud that i jump the hurdle on that one and just got it over with because the applause that makes it worth it. So one standing thing, there feeling.
1: Yeah, yeah. One thing that I learned that is important when speaking to groups is answering with I don't know is not always a bad thing. Yeah. And it's better to just go with that instead of trying to make it up on the fly and maybe giving bad information. So I don't I don't know is incredibly
2: powerful. Yes. Admitting that don't know everything is absolutely something you should be able to do. Definitely.
0: And I think that it's totally fine to feel proud of yourself because it takes a lot of courage to stand in front of all those people and put it on the line because even the best technical people in the world are going to make mistakes live. Things aren't always yeah. going to go to plan. And to have the courage to kind of ride that out and show other people like, hey, if you try recreating everything you see online, like you might run into some issues. And that's okay. Yeah. Just ride it out and you'll be all right. Yeah. And you might that's even important. get an MVP in the process. Just like <laughs> exactly.
2: You. Exactly. Heck yeah. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. It was. It's. It's an adventure. This year has been one hell of a ride. (laughs) I bet. And it's not over yet.
0: That's true. Well, your vacation is going to be over, and you're going to get right back to it. But I have a question about GitHub Actions. What was your talk about um, with GitHub Actions?
2: My session was on GitHub Actions and getting started. It it sort of stems from um, I have a module called PS Secret Scanner that was a a well it was a work project to start with that i sort of just started thinking about like i wonder if i could do this and i could and then i realized it was really useful and i started using it myself in a lot of cases and then someone when i did a new release of the module someone on on twitter just posted oh is there a github action of this i was like i have never created my own github actions but that sounds like an interesting task. Let's write a session proposal about it and force myself to learn it. And that's sort of how it started. So I ended up writing a GitHub Action uh, and figuring out sort of, I, I think I've read through the documentation about a million times by now, uh, figuring out how GitHub Actions works, figuring out how they work in the PowerShell or or in, in Composite Actions and in Docker Actions, and which one I prefer to write, and so on and so forth. Um, also, huge shout out to James Brundage, a uh, community dude who sort of helped me realize this. He has a module doing creating GitHub actions that I used. that sort of helped me understand how stuff works as well. Um, but the session was more or less about this, this journey of how to get started. Like, uh, one of the questions I got after the presentation was, uh, like, okay, what's the use case for this? Why do you create your own actions like this? And, and my answer to this is, like, everyone does cool stuff and creating a github action is just one way of sharing this stuff no matter if it's you know you can build github actions for your internal if you have a github internally for your company for yourself you can just create your own github actions doing whatever your release process looks like because automation's like not repeating yourself but also because one of the favorite examples when we talk module development, I, I think every PowerShell developer or PowerShell person ever has done uh, created his or her own um, password generator. So once you have done that, create a GitHub action and then everyone could use that one. and we can improve one password generator instead of everyone having their own. Like it, it really is that simple. Find you you're all doing stuff that people want. I, I for one, I hate writing code unless i need to like i if if someone has done it before why should i rewrite the same thing again so so yes so the presentation is from start to having your powershell code in a github action doing you know handling input and output and the many ways and issues you can have with that and and uh, reusing them in workflows or publishing them to the marketplace uh, so everyone can see them and find them and see how they're used, e- even up to like what documentation should you have or how does it look in the store when you publish it. So I think it's like a getting started session.
0: And I like what you brought up there of like, you don't like writing code. We have one of the best communities in the world. And I think that there yeah. still is room for improvement in terms of people contributing their code or contributing to pre existing projects. What yeah. do you have to say to someone who maybe has an idea, maybe something that they implemented at work, but they don't want to implement it live? They don't know how to take the steps. Maybe there's already a module they don't know about. What should they do with their code?
2: Okay, so, so it's, it's, that's actually tw- to like two questions. What do they do? Like, how do you share your code and how do you find them? How far do you find it? Finding it? Well, I mean, the gallery is what we have to sh- do right now in the community. Use your Twitters or your Mastodons or your whatever. Just I have never met been in a friendlier community. So whenever there's an issue, just use the PowerShell hashtag. And I swear to God, they will have a million different answers to whatever issue you have. I, I even have a colleague who who has that as his standard whenever he has a PowerShell, a PowerShell issue. He asks the question, and then sort of subtitles it under with, I'll be back in a couple of hours when you have argued which solution I should use. So I'll just come there, and you just tell me whatever way is best. Um. Yeah, but, but when it comes to publishing stuff, okay, so so you you know you, you mentioned if you have done something at work. So if you have done something at work, the very, very, very first thing you should always do is check with your legal department. Because if you are like me, a consultant, for example, then chances are fairly big that whatever code you write, it will have a clause somewhere that says it belongs to the company you're working for. And if you were to release that, that's an expensive hobby. <sighs> yeah, that's going to cost you quite a lot. So check with legal and make sure that it's okay. and do not just stamp stuff with the MIT license default, even though I think that's good. But once that is clear, it's actually just start doing it. like and and just like with everything else, start simple. Start with you know, publish it to a GitHub repo and then tweet it out or mastodon or whatever. tweet it out and say, Hey, I have this repo. I need some feedback, or this is what it does. Because there are so many of us that's just curious, even when it comes to like just looking at the solutions. And you go, like, oh, okay, but this line, we can improve this line. Let's just, is it okay if we change this, or is there a reason why you choose this path instead of that one? And so on. It's just, it doesn't have to be super advanced. Unless legal of course corporations i hate those people but yeah no sorry <laughs> uh but yeah other than that just keep it simple like and, and don't start with you know i have to publish it to the gallery and market it and have a beautiful logo to it all of that stuff can come later it's just you know rename your ps1 file to psm1 uh, psm1 and and release it as a module doesn't have yep. to be much more than
0: it. And it doesn't have to be perfect the first iteration. Most modules exactly. that we see aren't. You know, we mentioned a Microsoft module is still in pre release. You know, they're still trying to get it right. And I recommend the same approach. Don't overthink it too much. And uh, yeah. I got a friend in mine. Shout out to my buddy, and he's been on the podcast before, Clayton Tiger. I know he's been mm-hmm. working on a module. Just get it out there. Let other people yeah. contribute. Let other people share their feedback. This is one of the friendliest, most welcoming communities. Typically, everything I've seen for feedback is pretty helpful and not rude. Not like, oh, why did you do things this way? You're dumb. It's like, yeah. hey, have you considered this?
2: Yeah. And, and, and that's also one of the important things you noticed there that you said there, um, feedback. Like if, even if you don't feel like you can contribute something, feedback is like I, I absolutely love it like positive or negative i i do a lot of training and i even say that in my feedback form please give me negative feedback as well not just you're bad you suck but tell me what i should change or what do you what don't you like about this uh, because that that feedback it, it not just helps us develop better stuff it also triggers sort of the curiosity nerve like okay which is is, when you say that something isn't working the way you expect it to what is the process you're working with how do we think like how how do i get this into my test to set up so i know that you know i get this train of thought as well um it's all about the feedback loops and and yeah like like you said uh, like i said uh, you, you don't have to Contribute with super advanced code. You can just contribute with ideas, or uh, for that matter, point to a place. If you don't feel like you can fix it, if you have a bug, just say, "Okay, on line six six six, there's an issue with summoning the devil instead of solving the problem." You know, like just tell us stuff. Yeah, I, I have never been in met someone in our community who, don't, who doesn't like being. Code stuff or being in a discussion.
0: Let's use this as an opportunity to present a challenge to the community and our listeners. If you don't have a GitHub account, I challenge you to create one. And as you're using modules or whatever, or projects, file an issue if you see something missing. If the documentation is lacking, if a litany of things, you don't have to solve the module, file some feedback, get started with that. That'll be your first goal. If you're already there and you have modules that are already written and ready to be shared and legally cleared and all that. Let's put those out there. Take that risk. Take that next step.
2: And and it's okay to even have a, instead of having a module on GitHub, just having a My PowerShell stuff repo with one file, including everything you've ever done. Because every single one of us PowerShell nerds started out with creating one PowerShell file. And on the very top, you had hard-coded variables that you changed every time. And you rerun the script with a new variable setting up there. And then you had some read hosts and so on. And that's how we learned because someone challenged that and said, oh, did you know that you can use parameters instead? Okay. And then you learn. Then you sort of improve. And suddenly you end up with these massively super cool solutions for your specific issues that you can release as GitHub Actions for the rest of us. So I don't have to write any more code.
0: <laughs> yep. You got to just take that next step. Because yeah. you know, like where you are today, you're an example of just taking that next step. You know, yes. one little step at a time and you can be an amazing person like Bjorn, conquering the world, PowerShelling <laughs> everything.
2: Yep. Yeah, it's, it's, it's often the hard one, just like getting on stage. It's, it's throwing yourself out there and it is hard. But again, the PowerShell community is quite open and we're quite friendly in most cases. Yep,
0: and we a lot of us all started there. We all, you know, yeah. I know my first repo was like my PowerShell scripts, or I think I called it PlowerShell because my last name's Pla. <laughs> I was like, PlowerShell was the name of it. And we just had all these random scripts. They weren't yeah, of that course. great. I'd rewrite them now. But by doing things <laughs> like that, you're potentially helping someone else in terms of, oh, they see a script. And i found many a script that were in someone's my PowerShell scripts folder. It was like, oh, wow, that I didn't know you could do yeah. that. And I took it yeah. and borrowed of course. it. And uh, you make some friends along the way. Maybe you give someone some positive feedback. Maybe if you write imperfect code, you give someone the opportunity to start a relationship with you in terms of like giving some feedback. It's just putting yourself out there is challenging, but it's always worth it. We talk to people all the time. It is always worth the risk. And uh, uh, the PowerShell community couldn't be more welcoming for that.
2: I have a lot of friends, like non-developer, non-PowerShell friends, in the community from exactly that because they build cool stuff like the quite just a couple of days ago a person from the the uh, data community had done some release pipelines on setting up some uh, i don't remember sql databases migration tools and it was like yeah it had like four or five lines of powershell in there and one of them used the match operator and i was like okay, I absolutely love this. I learned so much from writing this script, but this particular thing, I know that match is regex. And if you do it this way, you have unexpected behavior. So just fixing that pattern. And he was like, oh shit, I did not know. It's like really fun. So both of us came out of this like really small example of like one one tiny thing that I knew about his code that you could just change and, and it's really helped. So it's it's... Yeah, See, again, I, I would have assumed community. that
1: regex was the problem too, but I wouldn't have had a solution. That's <laughs>
2: <laughs> regex is always the solution. <laughs> Please remember, I'm a consultant. I need to create work for myself. <laughs> like leaving behind huge regex patterns, that's a good thing. No, no, not really. Uh, yeah, regex is. If we go back to the GitHub Actions, like I said, I have the PS Secret Scanner module. Yeah, that triggered my regex. So, so it's actually the story behind it was that. A company I worked for, they required security tools, security scanning tools, to see if if we leaked secrets whenever we push uh, or published code to a uh, to release. It needed to have been passed through a secret scanner tool, and it turns out their secret scanner didn't care about PS1 files. So I could just have whatever in my PowerShell code, and it would just go (whistles) straight through it. And they were like, "Oh, we need to find a new tool." And being a bit like you know. Being the person one, uh, one M, I was like how hard can it be it's just looking for patterns right so i ended up having like this uh, the the repository for ps secret scanner has some really intense regex patterns <laughs> searching for keys like I, I i i i i'm not entirely sure because they haven't open sourced it but i When running uh, Microsoft's secret scanner tool, the the GitHub security secret scanner tool, um, when running that one, I found like 10% of all the secrets I can find with my own tool, which is fun. But Regex is super cool. It's read read write-once-read-never language.
0: Yeah, true that. Now, <laughs> so you know Rege- regex really well, or did you use like an online generator,
2: or how did you go about that? Well, I, start, I, see, I see many of the patterns are stolen and then changed, like like because we have different flavors of regex, so you have uh, yeah a number of different ones, and and .Net isn't really the default language people write in, so so I stole some from from um, a web page which i don't remember the name of that does security tools
1: the sedated uh, security yeah, repo
2: yeah thank you yeah
1: i'm, I'm then, reading through your stuff right now <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah so i stole most of them but i added a couple as well and had to go through and fix them and because they were written for javascript uh which uses like different escape characters and different matching patterns and so on um but this sort of forced me to at least have a basic understanding of what every single one of those pattern does so yeah i, I think I, I did do regex before but i think that the ps secure scanner development was like yeah pushed me over the edge of maybe using a bit more regex than lt but it's a fun thing to do
1: well it is it is very powerful when you can make it
2: work but... it is it's really really good
1: so there is one thing that I want to talk about with, with your blog that I think it's awesome that you're doing this. So you are studying for your Azure 204 cert and you're documenting yep. your study process as you go yep. along. Yep. I think that's awesome. That's not just, that's not just here's some cool things that I did recently. It's you're you're going over how you studied for it without obviously dropping yeah. secrets and getting in trouble. And I, I don't know if, if that, if that helps people with their own approach, I think that is an extremely valuable
2: insight. Yeah, it's, it's sort of, it's my summer project. I haven't taken the certification yet, so I, I haven't passed it. I don't know 118th. if I will. Yep. Um, but it, it sort of ended up like it is in the pre-talk we did uh, having vacation. It, it's, it has some good and some bad stuff, like having a long vacation. Um, I have many weeks doing nothing. And I was like, "Yeah, I have to have some kind of goal at least." So I, I started doing the ACED two hundred four. I already have like the, 100, the two, uh, one hundred, the 3, and four hundred certificates. So I was like, "I, I need to fill in that mid scope as well." Um, and it's it's really fun. I like to study and I like to write. And it's just you know one of the reasons I even have a blog was like writing back or feeding back into my own realizations. I I don't really it's fun if someone reads it and, and gets something from it, but I don't write it for people to read necessarily. I write it because I found something that I need to remember. And, you know, doing each and every chapter and you go back and think, okay, okay, what, what is the learn chapter going through here? What is it that I should learn? Which takeaways should I have? And just the classic, you know, back from school, can you repeat that with your own words? And the, the, like at least a couple of times already in the four or five, six whatever chapters in i am i've come to places where like well no i actually can i need to go back and study this particular part a bit more bigger because i can't really explain what this is right now so i think it's 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 for me to learn and it's also again back to the whole throwing yourself out there and showing that yeah i have an mvp title right now which makes me incredibly proud I still don't know crap about everything. I haven't there's so much I lack, which is, I don't know, part of being open, I guess, part of making it easy for me to. Well, one thing that was interesting is with your
1: password generator blog, you mentioned that you don't have cookies or trackers or anything, so you have no idea yeah. if you have, anyone even goes to your website. Well, now you do. Know. Now you know I've been there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a historical decision, like so many other people I have started about a million blogs in my life and always had, you know, set it up and you had this beautiful CSS and you had all these guest books where people could post comments and you had trackers and you can go in and see, oh, which countries is everyone from. And I kind of realized last time I stopped blogging that I spent like more time just going, looking through the statistics than I actually wrote. So when I started this iteration of it, it was more like, you know what, you know what, I'm just going to do like the simplest, dumbest static page generator. It's one JavaScript file that does just translation from Markdown to a web page. That's everything it supports. I don't I, It has themes, I think, but it's mostly just select the two colors you want. It's It's really, really dumb, but it helped me help me create stuff instead, instead of focusing on that other stuff, I just write because I actually really just like being on state. I really enjoy writing. It's just something calming about it. and, And like I said, reiterating to myself, what is it I learned? Or do I remember how to do this? So, yeah, I have no idea if anyone has ever visited. If you have, you're free to follow me and leave a comment on, on my, well, Mastodon is where I hang out most of the time nowadays. So, these you
0: two. Well, you know what? You've answered a lot of our tough questions, and AZ-204 is going to have some tough questions. But you know what's even tougher? What? The questions you're about to hear from Jordan. Jordan, you <gasps> got some questions for this guy? <laughs> I do. Can we stump him now? I, 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 I.
1: I mean, They're so we, me. we had some true visionaries, some leaders, some... You know, just the who's who of power shall go through. And every one of them has reported back that common parameters are the most difficult questions they've ever been asked. But unfortunately, even as much as I enjoy this conversation, I can't give you a pass. You have to go through the common parameters.
2: Are you oh, ready? okay, okay? Yeah, yeah, sure. Sure. All right. We'll Number one. Oh, this goes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> What's the one time something went wrong in the job and what did you learn from it?
2: Um I would say from my uh, early, early, early first sysadmin, where you go from IT support to sysadmin. So, so one thing I learned was uh, not every uh, active directory has, uh, ad, has the, the, are you sure? When you delete an account, uh, I learned it and my chief financial officer was uh, accountless for approximately 10 minutes. Um, but I also learned the lesson that, uh, propagating AD accounts takes approximately 10 minutes between Sweden and Finland, just enough time to save an account and actually see what it does and sort of rescue it.
1: So does that <laughs> mean is... you had the recycle bin turned on for AD? Cause normally when no, no, you no, no, rebuild, no. you'd lose exchange too. Cause that's tied to the
2: Oh uh, yeah. This was pre-exchange. We're talking oh, okay. like, uh, windows 2000 era, like really, really early. We did not have exchange in place and it was just like an account with a password and a lot of groups so basically everything you had to do was go up and tell him like okay we had to do <clears throat> you may have to recreate some like fix some access like whatever so but yeah the slow propagation time is not always a bad thing but i mean mess ups at work i yeah deleting stuff uh, i i accidentally broke uh, like one, I wrote a PowerShell script to clean up uh, profiles because roaming profiles, well, they are a bloody mess. So I, I did a cleanup script. And uh, so it turns out if you input like a, an erroneous uh, user account matching your own username, or I don't even remember the scenario, but in some use cases, it instead of just deleting a, a Roaming profile that messed up. It deleted all the profiles on a computer. Um, And if you delete the like default profiles from a Windows, I think it was XP time. Well, bad stuff started to happen and no one could log in. So I guess lesson learned from that was no validate your input, have proper good validation and check. And even if you're writing just a one-liner, use your what-ifs um like it's worth it i have friends complaining about powershell being a verbose language like it's a lot of verbosity to it you can write so much code that doesn't really do what you set out to do but the lesson learned from that is that it's actually worth using this stuff and outputting verbose messages and like i said validate your input use your parameter validation which is probably the Best invention PowerShell ever had. Like removing ninety percent of your code with a parameter validation script is mind-blowingly good. Um, so yeah, I I think I I haven't really destroyed uh, like the network of all Sweden yet, uh, but I've destroyed uh, or removed a couple of users and messed up a uh, university put a, a rotor in the wrong direction, which sort of killed an entire building at the university in Sweden because I, instead of, you know, routing traffic to my own network, I, I distributed IP addresses to the entire house. Well, shit you do.
1: Right, I, like it. I like how we got and, multiple examples. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. But it's, it's like everyone messes up. I think the, the most important lesson of all, and one of the things that, the DevOps, the back to the DevOps movement and why I got stuck in it. One of the things that when I read about it the first time really blew my mind was the concept of blameless post-mortems because coming from like a support department and sitting in a small company, IT department, that was like nothing heard of. Like if someone messed up, they got bashed by the boss. That's just how it was. But instead of doing that, just changing the mindset into, okay, we messed up how do we write a test or how do we create a function or how do we do whatever it's so we don't mess up like this again we will mess up of course but let's try a new mistake the next time blameless post mortems is like the best invention ever
1: it's not a bad one and i, I could really use those
2: <laughs> all right it so,
1: helps yeah second common parameter it only gets more difficult from there okay okay all right. with everything you know now what's one advice, one bit of advice you like to give your younger self when you're first starting in it.
2: <laughs> I know this sounds wrong. And I've said it in some other situations as well. But stop caring. Like, you spend so much time struggling to, you know, reach the stars or, or improving and, or, or struggling to, you know, be like your heroes. But but when you stop sort of caring and just do stuff because it's fun, then it just sort of works out that way. I I, I, I've been struggling. struggling. I've been on the path to you know eventually sometime in my life I want to have the MVP title. I've been doing that for well over ten years now, Um, but it wasn't until a couple of years ago, like 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 with the blog, when I stopped caring. Do people read? No, I, instead of caring, let's just write stuff or, you know, instead of caring, if someone thinks it's a bad presentation, let's do it because it's fun. Stop caring about what others think. That would be my one recommendation. Stop giving a crap what people say about you because
1: that you one some is cool stuff. Very valuable, but it's also far easier to say than to execute.
2: That's absolutely. Not <laughs> Absolutely. That's why it took me many, many years to get there. Like, it's it's not an easy thing to don't care what people think about you. Everyone cares what people think about you. It's just live with it. Um. And oh, one thing I I i would say is stop deleting your old code, because that's also one of the things I I realized. I, I actually found oh, that was many years ago as well. But you know, you found your first scripts, and. And it's really, really fun to go back and look at those. That's also one of the reasons you, like like you said, Andrew, you should set up a GitHub account and start storing your stuff. Because seeing your learning process is just incredibly valuable. Not just because you can laugh at yourself and say, oh, look how ugly my code was. But because you can go back and see that, oh my God, look how much I've learned through these years. and and Going back and redoing the same thing. Okay, I, my first task was like creating users on a local computer. I think that was like the first uh, something something with a I don't remember. But you know, going back and redoing that same script over and over again. How would I do it now? It's it's a, it's a great way of visualizing your process and and realizing that you learn stuff. Otherwise, you know, your own learning process is mostly hidden from yourself because it just Yeah. Yeah. So stop deleting stuff.
0: That's a great tip. And, you know, this is a career for most of us, right? We're going to be in here for the foreseeable future. Who you are today is not your final form. And it's okay to not be perfect. And it's okay to not have amazing code. (laughs) But you have to put yourself out there to be able to take those steps and to be able to reflect one day and be like, wow, I've come a long way since those projects whenever I first created that repo. Exactly. Thanks to those people on the PowerShell podcast telling me to. (laughs) exactly exactly
2: so yeah
1: don't delete okay all right last one and this one is the one that uh, trips up the most people this is where they give up (laughs) what are your three favorite modules in PowerShell
2: oh yeah it is a tough one Mm -hmm. but arguably I would say I don't know how many they are by heart because I haven't looked in a long time, but the core modules, because the core modules, first of all, wherever you go, that's what you have. And they are so complete in what they are. Like there's just so much you can do with, you know the item commandlets, like whatever you're working with, just knowing the item commandlets by heart is is incredibly valuable, valuable. And it's even to the point where, I, I I go back. I don't know how often. Like we do in a lot of training PowerShell courses, you know, three four advanced courses a year for internal stuff. And and every single time I go through this, I learn stuff myself about how you can use them. Same goes, of course, with the basic commands. Get command. Get help. Get member. Like. It's just the the flexibility and the learnability of PowerShell that the base commands brings is just incredible. But there's also another reason too why I say this, and that's because, again, I'm a consultant. I show up at new places all the time, which means I don't always have access to everything. And, And I've even been to high security places where it's like installing a module, ha, no way. You get what you have. So you kind of need to learn to live with what's installed which is also like you know abandoning powershell 5 or windows powershell and that's not going to happen in the near future because in so many places oh that's what you get Um, and that's also like if we go back a bit like to the security part of it all and the release and the management release management part of it all like one of the good and bad parts about this is that we still live in a community where or in society where so many people have to have security reviews. So how do you manage modules when each and every new release have to go through a security review through a security department that takes three weeks to do an update of a software? Like, how do we do this with a module that's updated once a week? Like, I don't really know. So, so, so the, the common core, because that's what made PowerShell as powerful and as useful as it is, Then of course, I mean, we have hero modules like the the SQL stuff from from Rob and Chrissy and and their crew. It's like mind-blowingly good. Pester, favorite, absolutely. I use Pester all the time. I do test-driven development for most of my projects. Even like yeah, it's it's just so incredibly good. And trying to understand scopes in Pester is like one of the hardest thing I've ever done. I have no idea how they work still, but like it's just so Beautifully written code and so fun to read through because it's just mind-blowingly good. Um, so, okay, if we count core modules as one, then I will say the core modules, um, Pester, and um, let's well, say PS Secret Scanner, because it's actually quite useful. I use it all the time. I, I can I... be egotistical. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I know for a fact that uh, if I had that in my in my past, it would it would uh, come back with some negative reports for me. So
2: <laughs> I think definitely yep. everyone could use it. Yep. Next up on the to do list there is, is a VS Code plugin and also uh, gets, uh, uh I completely lost the word for it. Commit hooks. So you can't commit something or push it with a password in it. But,
1: yeah. Oh, nice yeah. Alright, well, I'm not sure if you're aware of this Aaron, But this whole time we've been talking You have been in the presence of a known celebrity <gasps> So, much like Superman <laughs> When Andrew goes much. through his day-to-day life He can't go all out with his shilling Because it's too dangerous, it's too powerful Just like Superman has to go through <laughs> and make sure he doesn't You know, accidentally rip the door off the car Hmm? So every time we see him show, no, it's gonna sound like the greatest show you've ever heard, but just know that he's pulling back because for our own safety, so we can go on with our lives, he can't go full mm. bore. Yeah. But but now we get to we get to <laughs> sit back for our seat while we uh, witness the struggle live. Take it away, Andrew. Jordan, I'm thinking back to our first few episodes when
0: I first started doing these and I'm not saying I'm so great now. Some people like you say I'm amazing, but I remember how funny it was to be so nervous. Like for some reason it was the most nervous part of the whole episode and I get this amazing intro and I'm still getting this amazing intro and maybe I've gotten a little bit better. But listen, if you're listening, thank you so much. Welcome to the thrill of the ride, the power shill, if you will. Now, we've had an amazing conversation with Bjorn, and how, how better to cap this off than with a like, a comment, or a subscribe? And tell you what, I'll do you one better. You can even give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. You can hear us anywhere. We're here for you every single week, 75-plus episodes. If you have a question, you can hit us up, PowerShell at pdq.com. We'll read it. We'll respond. We're here for you week after week. You can find me on the internet at Platech. He's DevOps Jordan. Bjorn, where can people find you, my man?
2: Most commonly on Mastodon right now. Mastodon.nu slash at Bjompen. Everywhere, whatever platform you are, Bjompen, that's probably me. And your website, what is that? Bjompen.com. Perfect. And github.com slash bjumpen.
1: Consistency is key, I like it. (laughs) Thanks so much for taking time to talk to us.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks for
1: joining the PowerShell Podcast with your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plaw. I dig it. The PowerShell Podcast is a production of PDQ.com, making device management simple, secure, and pretty damn quick.